This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all, it's your girl Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, coming at you one last time during this August hiatus month to introduce the next rerun, but I do have a lot of news, so I'm going to drop that real fast as well, and then I will introduce the show. Just for those of you who listen all the time, already know, sorry for the repetition, um, I took a mental health break in August. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff on a personal level. I, I lost my job two months ago. I, um, I've been dealing with about a major depression in addition to my standard chronic persistent depression. I have actually had a lot more swings in my depression in the last month than I've had in a long time, uh, where I go from, you know, really, really deep depression to kind of moderate, uh, functional depression back and forth, which has been kind of strange. I don't normally swing as much as I have been lately. Um, I've also had some visitors from out of the country come in a couple times and, you know, that can be very chaotic as well. It's fun when it's happening, but the, the deep, the debrief or detox time afterwards can be pretty heavy right now because my coping mechanisms are off from normal um, while I'm dealing with the this bout of major depression. Not to say that I don't have happy times. I absolutely have, uh, but I've had some rough times too. And I took the mental health break to deal with that. In addition to trying to focus on the business side of Main Hustle Media, I produce and edit all four shows on Main Hustle Media, including shows that we want to launch, but we can't afford to launch yet. Until we start getting enough sponsorship, we can't start launching these other shows. And so, you know, I, I have some things just sitting sitting on the back burner waiting to be released. But for main for the current Main Hustle Media shows, I produce and edit all of them. I um, also am... For all the shows that I work on, I'm the main researcher, the person who's trying to find people, the people, the person who's doing all the social media. Uh, I don't know how to design a website on my own, so that's why none of my websites are up yet. I do kind of work with a cousin of mine when he is available, um, but you know he's got a life and a, and a job too, and I can't afford to pay him. Things like that. So as of right now, I do all the things. I'm the one answering the emails. I'm the one doing the social media posts. I'm the one editing and producing the episodes. Uh, With the exception of Black Radical Queer, I do edit and produce her show. She does all her social media. But we are a family. And as of right now, it's a small family. It's myself, Javi Nicole, and Blur Vision. But uh, this is the main hustle media family. And I can't wait to add the other members that are sitting in the wings Uh, But to be able to do that, I need to be able to function with this as my full-time main hustle. And as of right now, that's not quite possible. The audiences aren't large enough to attract sponsors, major sponsors, to the show. But I do have uh, different ways in which I'm receiving sponsorship, uh, which is all individual basis. uh, Through Patreon, through PayPal, Cash App even. Blurred Comics has its own Cash App. And... And through my Teespring campaigns, my t-shirt campaigns, those are currently the ways that I am supporting this business. I am not able to pay for everything through the support that we currently receive, but 
I have gotten to the point because of my current financial situation with being unemployed, I am no longer able to personally finance these shows at the moment um, until I get another job and, and can, can get back stable. Um, it is all going to be you. <laughs> it's all going to be you to keep this going. Uh, my time and my labor is, is always what I'm putting into it. Um, but at the moment, I can no longer put any money into it. I have cleared out my 401ks. I have cleared out my husband's retirement. I have cleared out our uh, loans on our life insurance policies, emptied out our savings to get us through the month of September. Or I'm sorry, to get us through the month of August and come September, completely screwed. Because as of right now, I don't have... Uh, a full-time job my husband's job has been reduced and he only gets paid once a month anyway so yeah if I don't figure out something in the next couple of weeks it's going to be a very dark time for the uh, the main hustle residents uh, the family and um, and with the support that I'm currently getting I hope that this will keep the show going so that is what happened in July I set a goal before I knew I was gonna take the August hiatus I set a goal to achieve uh, extra hundred dollars a month in sponsorship via patreon each month until in december we would hit 500 and then i would hope to kind of maintain 500 dollars for quite a while while i continue to build the audience um that's kind of a, a good place to start but i i know that asking for 500 bucks a month right away is too big we got to grow we got to get there uh just like with the t-shirt campaign that's currently going on now through august 31st for the be your mixed ass self t-shirt on teespring I have a goal of selling 200 shirts. I'm nowhere near that goal. My reach is not big enough to be near that goal. And unless every single person who listens to the show bought a t-shirt or two, I wasn't going to hit it. But I still set that goal because I want to be reaching for those, those you know, higher achieved things. If I sold 200 shirts also... Um, mathematically if I sold 200 shirts that would sustain the show for the for the next um four months so that's why I set the goal the way I, I did the same with the um hundred dollars a month on patreon if I can achieve that I can pay for the rest of this year basically and the start of January so that's why I'm setting the goals that I'm setting and I'm happy to report that even though we were on hiatus in August we hit a hundred dollar goal in August on Patreon. In fact, we hit a hundred and four dollars as of August twenty second. And if you follow me on social media on Instagram, you can actually see the people that ha that added to their sponsorship this month. So shout out to John Corbin. Gretchen Erickson already was a sponsor, but she increased her sponsorship by a great deal. Sarah Lotus, Rebecca McFarland, and Kayleen, thank you so much for joining the patreons of the show with your support and with the support of people who have been sponsoring the show for a while i mean it's just it's there's so many things that this does yes it helps support the show financially which is very much appreciated but it also validates my labor because as i've mentioned in previous episodes for every episode that you hear an hour worth of episode you hear could cost me anywhere between three to four times the amount of labor um there's there it, it goes into tracking down potential guests screening them interviewing them editing the 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 interview getting it up social media promotion things like that by the time it's all said and done i might put 15 hours i might put 30 hours i might put 40 hours into just one week's episode and i'm doing that times four because of the other shows that are involved 
And um, it is a full-time job. It's a more than full-time job. But I've also had to work a full-time day job to be able to pay for my life while I'm doing this. And this is my passion. It is something that I want to get to. And I know that I'm not going to stop. So I will eventually be able to get there. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but eventually I will get there. And if I have to work for uh, people I don't want to work for <laughs> outside of my home to do that, I'm, I'm going to do that because I want to keep this going. It brings me so much happiness. It keeps primarily, for the most part, it does keep my depression in check. It's, it's not really in check right now just because I have so many things overwhelming what is going on in my life, the unemployment, the death of my cat the sickness of my other cat, family issues, personal family issues, drama, things like that. I'll do, it's, it's all converging at the same time. So I, my coping mechanisms are off right now. But if I didn't have the shows, it would be way worse. Uh, because Militantly Mixed was a show that pulled me out of my deep depression last year. And it has maintained my functionality throughout this last year and change. So I'm so grateful for the show. I'm not slowing down. I'm very excited to do it. So if you want to continue to help us grow and to keep the show on, because if, if things do go a little bit south, I might have to pause for a period of time, which I don't want to do. There's so many ways right now that you can sponsor the show. If you want to do a one-time only donation, you can go to paypal.me slash militantlymixed and whatever you, you donate will go directly into the Hustle Media Bank account. And it's a one-time only, no pressure, whatever you want to do. Uh, if you want to sponsor the show on a monthly basis as a Patreon patron, you can go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed and you can donate as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. There's different reward levels depending on where you donate. After you've been a sponsor for at least two months, your reward will kick in. The more sponsorship we get, the better the swag will be, you know money begets money. So we'll, we'll improve the swag over the course of time as we receive more uh, Patreon sponsors. And I am going to do an overhaul of the Patreon page over the next week or so, so that we can, we, we can get to, to that. So if, if I end up changing what the rewards are for the different levels, and you're already currently a sponsor at those levels, then I am going to update your rewards as well uh, to, to whatever I end up putting it at. And then the third way is to actually participate in the t-shirt campaign. You can always buy the Militantly Mixed logo shirt or tote bag or mug on teespring, T-E-E-Spring.com. You can either just search for Militantly Mixed or go to the show notes and click on the link there. That's always available. But what Teespring does is allow you to do fundraising campaigns that are up for a limited time. And the Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt is only up for a limited time right now for a couple reasons. The fundraising aspect does generate more funds because they are limited time. Uh, the other thing is because it says ass <laughs> on the shirt, <laughs> um, I can't promote it. I can't pay to promote it. I can't put it on, on Facebook without being rejected because it says ass. And apparently that's offensive. I could do it on Instagram, which is weird because they share the, they share Facebook and Instagram share that same uh, mechanic whatever uh but yeah i can't it's not it's really not that easy to promote the shirt because it has a quote-unquote cuss word in the shirt so it's designed to be a fundraising shirt anyway so limited time only makes sense for that uh but also because of the slogan it is uh it is viewed problematically and actually the algorithms reduce the amount of times people can see it because of that it's so silly but whatever so if you want that shirt, it's available until August 31st. 
Uh, my goal for the shirts was 200 shirts. I knew I wasn't going to hit that goal because my reach is not that broad. But for the shirts I've sold so far, I was pretty amazed that uh, the first day was great. I sold uh, 10 or 11 shirts the first day. I, I still, I would even love to hit 50 shirts at this point. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. But if you, if you do like the shirt, just know it is a limited time only. It is a print to order. So whatever size you are is the size you'll order. You will get that shirt. It won't run out. Uh, and then it'll be gone after that. So you can go to teespring.com and search for Military Mix and you'll see the shirts there. What else? So what did I cover? I covered the sponsorship. I covered the t-shirt campaign. I feel like there was another bit of news that happened. It's escaped me. I could have swore there was more news. Uh, but those are some pretty big things and great things to be happening even while the show has been on hiatus. So uh, thank you so much for the support, everybody who's out there. Just know that um, as we continue to grow, I'm going to be continuing to ask for, for additional support or more support or new people to support uh, because this has recently become a bigger beast than it was when I started. And entirely homegrown. I, I barely have been able to pay for, for promotion here and there. So most of this is word of mouth, hashtags, people just desperately searching for mixed race things and stumbling on me. So thank you so much. Continue to share. That's another way you can support the show, retweeting, regramming, anything that I post about the show, uh, sharing the episodes that really touch you on social media and connecting that way. Uh, and keep those emails coming. Those emails really have helped this month that I've been receiving of, of uh, encouragement for the mental health break, but also the new folks who have discovered the show and have wanted to share their thoughts about it and things like that. Those those really sustain me. I, I count myself very lucky amongst the people that I know that are also podcasters, independent podcasters, is I'll talk about pretty often, oh, I got this email from a person because they heard this episode and it touched them because of their experience. Or I got this email the other day, uh, this person had never had a conversation with another mixed race person, things like that. And I'll talk to my, my podcast friends and they're like, you get emails? So I count myself very lucky. I get a ton of emails through Militantly Mixed. Uh, not so much on Blurred Comics. I don't know if, if nerds need to reach out to say how the show has emotionally touched them. Uh, I do get tweet responses and things like that, but I don't get emails for, for Blurred Comics. Um, I've gotten a couple for By Furious, but the show's very new, so uh, we'll see how that grows. But with Militantly Mixed, I always get messages. When y'all hear the show, it touches you, it affects you, and you let me know, and I need that so much. It helps make sense of what we're doing. It, it helps keep me going. Um, it also allows me to reach back out to the people who have been guests on my show when you tell me that your that their episode touched you. I can reach back out to them and let them know that they affected someone, which ends up validating their experience as well. You know, everybody feels like you're small, your story is not significant, but for every episode that I have posted, it has affected somebody. Some of y'all have been nice enough to email me to let me know, and I've been able to tell the people who've been guests um, the impact that they've had. And I can tell that it helps them as well, the guests. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe someone listened to me. So keep that coming. Email me at Charmaine at militantlymix.com. That is S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E at militantlymix.com or you can follow and please do follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mix. Keep up on uh, all the news and things that we got going on through there uh, and engage. Engagement helps spread the word. It increases the algorithms to tell other mixed race people, hey, we're out here. That's, that's what we need. If you need it, 
I can guarantee you there's a million other folks that need it out there too. And uh, we just have to get to them. We just have to let them know that we're out here. So thank you again so much for helping me grow the show over the course of this last year and change. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the next year in growth. And I have now been blabbing for like 18 minutes. So without further ado, the episode that I'm rerunning today is episode 21. It is from it is by far the most downloaded episode of militantly mixed by multiple hundreds this episode is had such a huge impact when it was released and not a week goes by that i don't see more five to ten additional downloads on this episode it had a huge impact this is episode 21 i can't say i belong to anybody and i do belong to everybody my guest was salam jordan She is an ethnic gypsy woman of Southern European and Indian descent living in Ethiopia, working for like a circus. And we had to, you know, time difference is one thing. We had to, I adjust my schedule so that I could meet up with her, but there was also internet connectivity access. She only had access one day a week. And so we had to make it work. So we basically, for the course of a couple weeks, would talk on Saturdays until we got to the day we could record together. Um, she was an amazing guest and continued to have interacted, uh, in the months since then as well, checking in to see if, uh, if people have reached out to me because of the show or, um, to let me know she met another mixed person and she told them about the show, things like that. So I completely credit her for all of the downloads that I get in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Uganda right now, because I think she is interacting with people from those countries uh and they are downloading the show biggest downloaded episode of militantly mixed ever this is i can't say i belong to anybody and i do belong to everybody with my guest salam jordan all right y'all i will be back next week with a brand new episode go back to regular schedule and we'll keep it going so keep posting keep connecting keep finding mixed race people to chat with send them my way too so i can chat with them also and don't forget to be your mixed ass self. So we're back to Militantly Mixed, and today I am very honored to speak with my guest who is coming to us from Ethiopia. Thank you, Salam, for joining me on the show. Thank you, too. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody about yourself and how you found Militantly Mixed? Yes, okay. Thank you, too, so much for this opportunity. And so I'm Salam Irene Giacomini Jordan, <laughs> pretty long, and I'm... Uh, I know Military Mix from Facebook while I was looking for a mixed people page or group or something to feel comfortable with. And as soon as I uh, saw your um, your post, you uh, re- replied for me. And so we got in contact like this. Yeah, I was, I was so excited when you when you responded. So that yeah, that post was something that I put up like five months ago trying to get people to come on the show so when when you pop back up as a someone commented i was like oh yay i'm so excited so thank you for for finding that and for responding to us why don't you tell everybody 
what your your ethnic and cultural background is a little bit, and then we'll get into our conversation. Yes, so I'm half a southeastern European and half Indian. Southeastern European is divided into four ethnicity, which is Italian, Greek, Romanian, and a little bit of French, and then the rest is Indian, which is. Uh, there is no a direct Indian uh, descendant is Indian because uh, I come from an ethnic group called Gypsies that long time ago had come uh, from India and settled in Europe, mostly in Romania. And then with the time start to mix up, but still now interracial marriage sometimes are not uh, allowed so you might find still in Europe gypsy who really really uh, dark and like Indian like black mm. Indian from Rajasthan because we are original from Rajasthan mm. so within the gypsy culture there is a divide between the darker skin people and the lighter skin people mm, no not really but uh, there is a very strong uh, uh, behaving rules and things like this. So for a long time, interracial marriage were not allowed. And then recently, like in Romania, it's mostly uh, they start to mix up. So here I am. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's okay. No, it's okay. There, there is not too much. Okay. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, sort of your upbringing and how, like how your life is in the gypsy culture? Yes, so I grew up in Italy because my mother ran away from Romania when there was the communist dictatorship when she was 19. So she came here as a refugee and she stayed a bit in a refugee camp and then started to slowly build her life in Italy where she meets my father. So for a long time, when I grew up, uh, the Romanian and Gypsy, we don't even try to talk about, was completely cut off from my life. And while I was not allowed to say I'm Romanian, I was not allowed to say Gypsy, like forgot it. <laughs> it's like in uh, European culture is the worst. I mean, after dog, <laughs> maybe there is Gypsy. So it's like mm -hmm. the worst thing to say. So And she herself, like uh, to protect herself from so much racism and uh, pre-ideas pre towards uh, gypsies and Romanian women mm -hmm. for too difficult for her. So she also tried to completely cut out from her life too. So when I was little, I was always different and I didn't know why. <laughs> and I tried to fit in as much as I could when I was little, but I will never fit in really. Mm -hmm. And always they would make uh, very hard jokes on me. And uh, yeah, I had... Uh, pretty tough bullism kind of thing in childhood. Yeah. Uh, yes. Where they very, very hard for the skin color. I'm a bit darker. I'm not too dark, but for them, it's already something, as you probably know. Also in America, I think right. it's like this. When you live in a main uh, white people culture, it's like this. Was it mostly around people that were like fairer skin, lighter eyes, blonde hair? And and you were dark haired or or was it kind of a mix where you were at too, but you were just darker than them? Yes, yes, it is a little bit like this, not too much. I mean you can find some people looking like Arabs a little bit on the southern area. But no, in the area I live it's island, it's Sardinian island. And no, in the area I live they were all quite white. 
yeah, I mean, people could have dark hair, but the skin is very white. So yes, when, you know, in the wintertime, maybe I could blend in a bit more. But when summertime came, I dark up a lot. Mm, right. And so everybody called me the little Indian. Even they, they didn't know. And even me, I didn't know, you oh, know, funny. they sense it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's... they sense it from there. Yes. And also my behave and all my things were very different. So for them, I was uh, always like... Um, a very nice uh, game to play with jokes, hard jokes, uh, very right. hard, <laughs> like this thing, yes. Right, yeah. I think a, a lot of us um, mix kids when they can't figure out what they are, but they want to they wanna decide for us that they, that they end up being really mean like that. So, okay, so you're, you're growing up in Italy and you feel unusual. The kids detect that you are different from them, so they treat you like that. When do you start to finally learn? And you said it's ta taboo in your family to even talk about your mixed heritage. So when when do you find out? Is it when you were 16 for the family? Yes. You know that you find out about your, your Romanian and the gypsy side of your, of your ethnicity? Yes. So when I was around 16, uh, the, my uncle died. So I had to flew to Romania. And yeah, that was pretty shocking. And it was very beautiful at the same time. And, you know, I'm I was never brought there, never talk about it too much. So it was very strong for me and also for them to see me. But it was just for this. So after that, I saw them next time when I was 20, 20 something. So it was strong for days, but it stays like this for, for a while. And after that, yeah, in that period, I also start to decide not to want to, to fit in too much. Mm. And uh, I would like to add that I was seeing some videos about mixed people and this thing. And one guy who was giving an interview, he did this question to the people, what you did to fit in? And when he did this question, I remembered when I was like around 14, 15, that uh, a lot of, uh, uh, how you say, schoolmates, they give compliment to a girl who was very fair, like she was so white, and they will say, oh, she's so beautiful, her skin and something. Mm -hmm. And so I invented that I had like uh, some sickness called photophobia, like mm -hmm. that I could would not go in the sun at oh, all oh in the no. summer and like yes and then I started to put all these like uh, powders oh, <laughs> strong no. white powders on my face <laughs> yes I just remember that you know and yes for like more than two years I went on like this like faking I was having photophobia not to get in the sun <laughs> my goodness and people just accepted it as as a thing what the powder that you put on your skin was that did that cause any harm or damage to your skin or it just no, it's, it's, does it yeah, foundation yeah no it's this foundation you know i just did Oh, okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it's amazing. The kind of things that you come people that we come up with just to feel kind of comfortable. Um, yeah. So how did you feel when you remembered that you had done that? What did that do to you? Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, come on, you know, but uh, I understand myself and I understand also after that period, I decide, okay, I'm not like them. So <laughs> just leave it. And then I <laughs> went to the opposite. Okay. Yes. I'm very different. <laughs> and yes, after when I was 19, I left Italy and I started to travel around the world on a kind of inside travel, like trying to find my roots and things, mm -hmm. which I uh, advise for every mixed uh, person to go on a travel on all the land <laughs> you come mm -hmm. from. Yeah. Because it's like uh, a travel inside yourself, really. It's like, oh, <laughs> here everybody's like me. Oh, 
also there everybody's like me you know it's like yeah it, it's so it's so important to to understand yourself better that you are not wrong or something it's just mixed things inside of us <laughs> yeah no that's that's amazing so how did you manage to do that travel at such a young young adult age was it were you already part of did you already sort of reassimilate into your gypsy family or how are you getting around Europe and or and you said you went no. to India at some point too, right? Yes, yes, of course. I used to went to India till my uh, childhood because uh, yes, my mother she 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 felt this thing and okay, she didn't want to communicate with the family, but she she felt inside of herself for sure. So she always brought me to India when I was six and mm-hmm. something. So India is inside. <laughs> yes, of course. And uh, yeah, you know, when I was nineteen, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I I come from a very little village, so I also wanted to know the world and this thing, and I went on this kind of hippie vibe <laughs> traveling. Yes, and yes, when I went to India, also when I was much much bigger and I could understand much things, I just saw so many things from myself, and I started to take back some of my cultural things, like for example, eating with hands, as I as I already we talked before. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was very strong for me because it came so naturally, you know, and I just felt that the whole time I was forced to use this instrument that somebody else put me to to use while it was so natural for me to to eat with my hands. So from from that travel on, I continue to eat with my hands and not accepting anymore other like right. people who want to impose culture on Right. So can we, can we talk a little bit about the eating with the hands? So I know there are a number of cultures that do this. And, and in particular, it's not it's not just that like you are by yourself eating with your hands, but it's a whole a whole thing sharing the food with the people around you and everything like that as well. Is that was that part of what touched you? Yes, of course. So many things. Also, every people in India sit on the floor and to me i i always did that and i always like no i should sit on this chair because european culture is like that and you know i how how you call this thing um i was uh, uh, when you when the parents say like no don't do like this how I call you this thing um, when they like when when they're like they admonish you like they tell you to stop yes behaving. yes like this kind of thing yes so always for sitting down and for doing things in sitting on the floor and for doing things a certain way. Mm. And when I went to India, everybody's sitting on the floor and I'm like, okay, <laughs> yes, yeah. of course, this is my place, you know. So you feel represented <laughs> just by just by happening to go to a place that does this. You you felt like some kind of representation and, and it, felt, it came really natural to you. Yes, of course, because our things were living, were boiling inside our blood, you know. And when you are on the wrong place or like, let's say, in the place that represents you less, you feel wrong. But when you go in the place that represents you more, you just say, OK, yes, of course. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody like what I feel. Yeah, that that's amazing. So you told me when we spoke before, you mentioned that at the time you had finally gone back to Romania and sort of um, got exposed to that side of the the gypsy side of your culture. That's uh, was the age where you were you should have been married off or something like that, right? What what was yes. the reason why you left uh, Romania the the next time? Yes. So I went to visit my family in Romania when I was around twenty. 
but I can't stay there too much long and I can't stay also throughout Romania or too much in contact because there is gypsy family everywhere in Eastern and also in Italy. So I cannot too much stay in contact with the gypsies because there are rules, for example, as... uh, there are still like some strong rules when girl got her first period when she's around 12 or something she might uh, be in cell to some older men or you know things like this there is so many like as most of the people don't go to school don't know how to read and write there is this kind of things who are uh, still in the culture so yes of course when I go there everybody try to marry me off <laughs> and I'm like no yeah. and you know also gypsy men and also my, my grandfather is big example of this can be quite violent you know so I, I I wish I can get more in contact and live more with my my gypsy tribes all over it doesn't matter if it's by my blood family you know gypsy is gypsy I can stay also with another family of gypsy but it's too difficult when it's like this you know I grew up in Italy so it's difficult like, to want to go towards death right and i understand even in italy where there where you say there there are other uh, gypsy groups as well they have the same type of rules and so even even if you were to go back to italy that would be the same thing yes yes if i want to go inside a gypsy group or tribe or clan in whatever place in europe because there is all over europe it will be more or less the same story Mm. so yes so how does that feel like you're you, you keep you you've said it several times and I, I feel the same about my cultures as well this sort of like um like you, what you said boiling in your blood like you it, it it heats up when you're closer to your people and and you feel more connected so how does that feel when you really want to be around them but because some of their their rules or their cultural structures are sort of against you as an independent woman. Uh, you can't do what you want to do. Like, how does that feel that you you still need to have connection to it, but you can't because of those circumstances? Yes, yes. That's why I guess I'm in Ethiopia because for me he's a middle path in between right. all things. Right. So yes, I feel like. How how you like little not frustration but you know I wish I wish maybe if I believe in <laughs> reincarnation <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. another life <laughs> I don't know I don't know yeah. yes I wish I wish I could be also more active inside of the gypsy community I don't know I think my mother she passed me a lot of fear and a lot of uh, detachment you know in uh, in our family as I told my grandfather oh. was was a very very violent person so I I think I guess I'm afraid because also women cannot speak up too much you know right right and so you become and not only do you become very independent you're you're traveling the world by yourself and and you're you're seeking out all of your different cultures and everything like that so to suddenly be in a position where you're giving up that independence would be probably even yeah. extra difficult if you weren't raised directly in it the whole time. Exactly. And so Ethiopia offers you that middle ground where you can feel like you get aspects of your of your culture or the at least activities within your culture are present in Ethiopia. But do you also have the freedom to be more independent as well while you're there? Yes, yes, the, exactly. Because Ethiopia is a little bit mixed between Arabic culture and African, another like, um, yeah, another African country's culture. And it has a little bit his own reality. And when I saw Ethiopian for the first time, I thought they were gypsies. <laughs> 
So because you look yes, very similar. Course, uh, yeah, with some with some people, yes. Also, there is traditional tattoos that also gypsy can have. You know, mm. uh, yeah, there are there are uh, similarities definitely also in the culture, and there is a better part. Uh, there is a lot of uh, respect here, rules of respect. The people here can be very polite. You know, uh, I mean, the culture, the Tupan culture, is very nice. So I really fit in very much uh, to surprise of them uh, that on the other side Ethiopia have uh, also another side which for them is difficult to to see how I fit in because they have other idea of me here right. so yeah that, that we can talk uh, later so yeah to me it's nice and also as a woman like here yes of course there is woman problem everywhere in the world also in the civilized country there is still women killed here and there so yeah it's not perfect but as a woman it's not like uh, maybe another an arabic country where i lived here i can walk in the street alone i can wear a little bit uh, not too short the skirt but a little bit like i can do whatever i want it's okay and the men's are not uh, harassing uh, are, are, are fine like yes not sexually harassing definitely not uh so before when we were speaking before you mentioned something that i had never heard before um you said that in ethiopia they refer to their mixed race people as half caste and so i looked it up a little bit to to kind of understand and it and from my research it turned out this is actually a really common term in other a, a number of other countries. It's just not something that we have here in the state, so I'd never heard it. How are their half-caste or their mixed-race people treated in Ethiopia, and, and how does that affect you? Because, yes, Because okay. for them, you're you're not only mixed, but you're also a foreigner. Yes, yes, exactly. So here we go on the other side of the coin. So now we have talked about what you probably must know in America, a predominant white race uh, society, and how the outsiders or the mixed or whatever is treated. So that's what we know. And then there is the other side of the coin. And here is a prevalent dark skin country because mm -hmm. we cannot even say too much black because Ethiopian themselves are a mixed race. Right. And that's the thing, but they don't know because it's like a very, very long thing. So they 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 mix between themselves and they create this this uh, ethnicity, which is Awesha, which is in uh, Djibouti, Eritrea, Ethiopia, uh, Somaliland, Somalia, and a little bit of South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, what is the reality of the mixed race here and the foreigner? So there is a big story of love and hate, which we all can understand, of course. Right. Uh, it's a non-colonized country, but of course, white people, uh, they try to come here and do something. Sometimes Italians, they were here for five years. So there is, you know, there is a little bit of oppression, like there was war and things. So they know this, but it's a non-colonized country still. Right. So <laughs> there is like this love and hate. It's, it's a big story of love and hate, which is so mixed, you know. And so, yes, the foreign here, for example, for them, there is one word, it is Faranji, who refers to all, like, whatever else is lighter than them. Or, I don't know, like, mm. any European, any Arabs, any Chinese people, any, I don't know, like, 
Anybody. Right. Okay. Everybody. Okay. So also it's very difficult to try to explain to them, wait, I'm not dead, you know. Here, as soon as they see you light skin, you are like European and you are rich mm. or like mm. European standard kind of things, you know. So you are very rich and you should do this, this, this and that. And there is a big box, a very strong box, which you mm, should be there, you know. So f- with me, they go crazy because I don't fit in the white people box, and so they don't know where to put me. You know? <laughs> it's so weird for them. Yeah. I make them crazy because yeah. when I come here, I was so poor. Sorry to say, but I, I lived also some years in the street. So when I came here, I was really so poor. So for them, it was shocking to mm. see someone, you know, from the white box who should be rich and this and that and, and see me like that. And they cannot even recognize too much the, the difference between like a white German people or, you know, like some white, white people and from the mixed, like these kind of things. Even themselves, there is lighter skin. Of course, there is people of my skin and lighter than me here. And they call it white. Yeah, so that was actually something really interesting that you and I talked about last week. And this, and I have, so all week long, I have been talking about you to my friends and and explaining our our experience talking. And everybody I've spoken to that are born and raised here in America, whether they're white or black or or anything else, they're all shocked by this idea. So this is this is very much the difference between, I guess, being a Westerner. is that when you describe that anybody who is of darker skin is considered black and anybody who is of lighter skin is considered white, here that doesn't make sense to us because anybody who's considered black here is of African descent. So somebody whose ancestors were taken on the on the slave trade and brought here, those are the black people. And then anybody who descends from Europe, are those are the white people. And so if you're a light skin mixed person, if you're if you're biracial, black and white, you're still black for the most part. But you described uh, your confusion watching the movie Dear White People with the, mm-hmm. the lead actress, Tessa Thompson, being biracial. You were trying to figure out why the white girl wasn't talking about white issues. And I told that to some of my friends and all of us were so surprised that it makes sense why that movie didn't make sense to you. But it made sense mm-hmm. to us because our experience, Tessa's experience in the movie is very similar to my experience here in America as a as a mixed black and and white and I'm also a Japanese person who identifies as black and that mm-hmm. that was so different from you so I would like to talk about that a little bit with you because it's so it's so new I I like I want to learn more um about that so can we talk a little bit about why you're confusing to Ethiopians because you you look similar to them but you're a little on the light side but you can get t- darker and then you look even more like them but you're you're not black. So <laughs> can we talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes, of course. So so yes, this is the thing, like how what to say. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is if you start to talk and have a conversation, yes, you can go in the details and they can divide the they they see the, the difference of the lights and there is different name. Like sorry, there is the, the, the shades, shades and there is different name, for example, mm-hmm. it's but it's the same like white. Uh, so all the light skin are are referred in in, uh, in Amharic is Kai. Kai means red. <laughs> red? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But red is referred for the white people who had come here, you know, these very light-skinned people, like like white people, who with the sun, they got red. So <laughs> they start to call Kai <laughs> red people. <laughs> and so whatever he is light-skinned is 
uh, and then there is like this bunico, this uh, sorry, this um, uh, brown color, like yes, brown color. Many Ethiop- mm-hmm. many Ethiopians there is this brown colors, and then the one who are black also who are like dark, and also for. Uh, neighbors African countries is hard also for them because they they do are racist also with them and with the with the very black because of course here is any like India or whatever like dark skin area of the world I think apart America and maybe in South America yes everybody like uh, give much more value for the light skin and less for the dark skin Right. Yeah. Yes. So that that's the culture. So, for example, in a family in the rural area, if a sister uh, of from the family she will be darker, she will be the one who work harder and who will make all the chores. And if you are light light skin, you will get like a better treatment. Yeah, yes. that that seems to be in every every single culture and a lot of a lot of our cultures, so like Indians and Asians and different parts of the descendants of Africa that are here on the Western Hemisphere. So the the Caribbeans, the Black Americans, uh, North Americans, South Americans, the Afro Latin X community, their darker skinned people are all you know looked at worse than than the lighter skinned people. Lighter skinned people are valued for their beauty, um, and uh, and so there's a lot of skin lightening, sort of like you were talking about. About when you were when you were younger, so there's a lot of products that are in these communities, Jamaica, China, India, where they're always trying to lighten their skin, yeah. which causes you know it's more than just the damage to your physical body, but like the psychological, the mental damage to not being good enough and having to try to fix yourself, even though yes. you know, and I don't I don't mean fix, but that they have this view of feeling like they need to fix themselves so that they can be lighter. So really, the darker skinned children have to work harder, and the lighter skinned children are they valued in terms of like you can marry the lighter skinned girl to to a more upscale family or, or how how are they yeah, allowed to maybe, get away? Yeah, maybe yes, with? yes. In the rural area now, me, I live in Addis Ababa. In Addis Ababa is less, but I mean less, mm, like yeah, little bit less than mm. and and strong than the rural area. But yes, I mean yes, you can get maybe a better job. For example, in the, if you see any Ethiopian movies, all the light skinned people are in the movie, and people from another African country they think white people is living in this country you know like yeah so i mean you know i think you're this thing yes wow yes so when they got for example about the half caste situation so these poor half caste people here because must say that yes um, most probably an ethiopian would like to marry with some foreigner or most probably white people to get a light-skinned child because it's more beautiful and everything but the life of this light-skinned person here is also mine because i i i mo- like look very much like a mix uh, of ethiopian and mm-hmm. uh, some european uh, so <laughs> it's very hard because uh, they will never think of you as you are uh, ethiopian for example Right. And they will always treat you different. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's very hard. I have a friend of mine and I think for her, for him, it was very, very hard growing up on a public school. We, it was very hard because also most of uh, half-caste live a different life. That must be said. And most of white people here live a different life because mm. here there is also another difference, which is poor and rich mm. and a it's a big gap. So the half caste, they might uh, go to like rich schools and things. So they never got mixed with Ethiopians. So they are always see 
different, you know, and always people surprised if you're talking Amharic, you know. Uh, I think it's pretty hard. Me, I take it, okay, yes, I grew up in another country, and but for the people who burn here and they are half Ethiopian and they learn everything here, their life is here, they are Ethiopian, but when they walk in the street, they will never be recognized as Ethiopian. It's too mm. hard, too wow. hard, you know. Wow. Yes. So you mentioned something about um, because you confuse people there and they think, you know, maybe you are the Ethiopian version of the of the half caste and everything that they're curious about you. You, Like you get people that are curious about your hair and they they do they do they like want to touch your hair and or touch you or anything like that, touch your skin? Or is it just the comments that they say about you? Yes. Comments every day, all the time. <laughs> the touching thing, yes, I got one child like not too long ago who saw me in the street and I always keep my hair covered. But the day I make, uh, I have long hair, so I make a bright and a little uh, hair you can see. And some kids run from far and catch my hair. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah, I want to jump it on hair. And when you go to the rural area, yeah, that's really hardcore things. I mean, you got children like running after you people like entire village coming to you touching your skin and everything and if you speak the language uh, it's even like oh my god you speak the language you know and it's really it's really hard I mean I cannot blame too much because of course past government and things like people don't have too much chance of see different differences and also education you know right. I mean there is still like very low education system because of the government the past government we had so yeah you know it's not all the fault of the people but it's still very hard it's hard for you I as mean, the individual who has to yes. be the other yes. end of that curiosity yeah Yes, it's an everyday war, even in even yesterday. Yesterday, I got very hardcore things again on the bus. It's an everyday war, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very tiring. But I mean, uh, here they are more explicit. And actually, I like it that I know from far away who who is who. In oh, Europe, okay. yeah. it's very fake. So I might have got friends or like people try not to show their things, but there are still races there. And every time I go in Italy, everybody don't believe I'm Italian. And they're asking if I'm Moroccan or if I'm something else. Right. So yes, here is tougher because it's more explicit, but still I prefer no, I agree with you. I, I do because so here in America um, or the United States specifically, people like to say that the only part of, of America that is racist is our South because that's where the historical slavery was more predominant and things like that. And it's still it's still a part of the country that is kind of, I guess we would say sometimes backwards in terms of like the deep, deep south and the the divide between the black and the white people down there but my personal experience i grew up in california so i grew up in a very liberal free open type of place but the subtle racism is is here and it's crazy so i prefer being in a place where somebody does just kind of not violently but it still calls it out because then i know i know who you are i know how to deal with you now you know versus the person like here in la especially here in los angeles where i'm at it's a lot of smiling a lot of people telling you that you're so beautiful and they wish they look like you and, you know, you're so exotic and, oh, I, I'm so jealous that you look that way, that you have the best of all the cultures or whatever. But then, you know, later on you, you find out they've been talking about you, you know, racistly or bad, you know, or whatever. And you're just like, you just wish, mm-hmm. then don't interact with me if you, you know, if you feel this way, don't, 
don't bother yourself with me and it'll be fine. But in other places um, where racism is more out in your face, you at least feel like you know what neighborhoods not to go to and, you know, and like what people yes, to avoid. Yes. But there are parts yes. in our in our northern areas that are that have always been considered non-racist because that was the side of the country that fought in the war to free slaves. They're like Boston is some th- place that I live that that's a very racist city. But people always think that it's not because it's in the north. So we have really screwed up ideas here in the states about where is racism where isn't the whole places it's just that there's some places where it's more direct in your face and in that case um, if it's not violent but it's just someone showing you their hate that is in a weird way more comfortable because at least you know who you're dealing with so I agree I it, it, I laugh about it too like the way you kind of laugh when you said it I kind of do too because you don't know how to ex- you don't know how to explain why that makes you more comfortable <laughs> it just does you know yes yes no yes I understand perfectly yes 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 of course <laughs> definitely <laughs> because I I know yes I know the European culture and for me it's it's much harder you know and yeah also because there is this big law for example in Italy on the western European country they say yes everybody's equal and this and that you know there is like this big law and for example so when I was little there was a Senegalese girl in our class so everybody wants to do like racist thing because it was like a taboo things but still they will think in certain way you know towards her or behave in certain way like to just to make her far or something you know yeah so yes i do prefer explicity even if yeah. <laughs> sometimes you know like some breath because sometimes even with my close friend you know it's like it's like a big wall which they can't uh, they they can't take it down but this i guess it's a little bit more an ethiopian problem even because they have a big ethnic problem between themselves so yeah maybe it's just ethiopian I didn't see too much in other African country, but people told me it's less. Well, because so, isn't it the case that in Ethiopia, there's a lot of different people that have come to, into the country. So there's like a big Chinese presence and a big Indian presence and, and things like that. So is, is that true that there's a, a, a sort of heavy foreign influence and that and that kind of um, like increases the awkwardness of the race relations there? really there is a lot of Chinese and there is a lot of Indians that we don't see because uh, as I told you there is also the big difference between the rich and the poor and and these people come here yes these people come here to work and so they work for big companies and things like this so who see them they always travel in big cars and things so you never see them walking in the street like rarely Right, really. right. You we won't say, say there is like that much, but we know there is a lot. But yes, that that's another story. But no, they don't really affect the the culture. Just that when I walk in the street, people even can say China. <laughs> oh, really? They'll just just yeah. call whatever you, whatever is the different thing. <laughs> you just are that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that I start to joke on them. Yes, I once I some people start to ask me, okay, where are you from, and Santi, and I start to joke on them. I'm like, I'm Chinese, <laughs> and I. <laughs> make them believe <laughs> yes so you tell you know. me you speak five different languages is that is that correct yeah six no six what what all what are all the languages like where did, did you pick them up as you as you moved around or um were you learning them your yes. entire life 
Yes, five of them is uh, uh, Latin rooted uh, languages, so I have to say it's pretty easy. Okay. <laughs> so it's Italian, Spanish, French, and Romanian, and then English, and then uh, Amharic, the language of Ethiopia. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's um, that's another part that it makes um, y- y- the U.S. really uh, behind everybody else is that we don't start teaching different languages until we're in high school. So we're 15, 14 before we get access to a new language. And um, it's a little bit harder for our brains to learn to think in both languages. And, and we end up giving up by the time we're out of college. So if we, you know, mm-hmm. for those that go to college, so a lot of people, you, you don't get a lot of it here unless you're raised within a culture. And even in my case, my Japanese side, my grandmother is from Japan and she came to the United States at a time that there was still a lot of racism against Japanese because of World War II. And this was like, mm. this is like 20 years later, but there was still that, that racism. So the military, she married, my, my grandfather was a white military guy. She married him and they, the military told her, don't teach your children Japanese because you'll confuse them. And um, mm. she never taught her, my mom and her sisters. And so by the time I come around, she still didn't want to teach me Japanese. So I only know a little bit of Japanese from home. And then I struggled in school to try to learn, try to learn. And I, I still don't have a very good grasp of Japanese, uh, just a little bit. And, and like, I understand more than I'm comfortable speaking and everything like that. But not having that exposure, you know, throughout our entire lives, it makes it really difficult for Americans to pick up other languages, unfortunately. Do you struggle yes, with the yes. Ethiopian language or, or is it, does it come? Yeah, it took me a while, of course, also because I didn't go to any school and anything. And uh, it's, uh, is it? It's a Semitic language is completely different, different from the Latin. So yeah, it took me a while, but now. How how long have you been there? Now it's four years. Oh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your, about your life. So when you first contacted me, you said that you work in a, in a circus and, um, was it, it's a traveling circus, correct? Uh, No, we just recently, uh, through a crowdfunding have bought a tent, which is now making her first tour in another cities here in Ethiopia. Uh, But no, it's a fixed circus. It's a social circus. So we work also in the hospital with the smile medicine, you know, and like the smile doctor doctor club okay uh yeah so we do like this and we are also artists and train go on tours times mm-hmm. <laughs> and what sort of things are at your circus because i'm wondering if your circuses and our circuses are similar yeah yeah of course it's like circus like any other circus we don't have animals is uh we are enough animals <laughs> by how i want so yes it's just like we are acrobats and aerialists and clowns and you know circus things okay here we are not so much big we are not so much little for ethiopia mm, i see and so yes and in this circus i experience all the races like the world thing like mm. my life is about races i guess you right. know? <laughs> like yes because it's uh, founded from a woman an italian woman who she's married with another you know, ethiopian so i got from her all the italian kind of thing and I got from the world thing, the Ethiopian kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so it's very hard because here, for example, I not have been sent into tours or I don't have chance as others to get a job or to do something because I'm light. And sometimes, like sometimes they say they want to sell this African image in Europe or abroad, oh. abroad or in some shows. So I don't fit in. And But 
I mean, doesn't make sense, but there is this thing here. So I suffer from this on this side. And then I suffer from something that I just like felt understood while I was reading one of these mixed people struggles, uh, like posts somewhere, which somebody say, like somebody push you to pick a side. So the Italian right. woman pushed me to pick the Italian side. Like for her, I'm Italian. She don't see anything else. I should behave like an Italian and everything. When I don't, she feel like, why? Why are you like this? You know? Like, uh, like, like you're almost Italy. betraying I- Italy by not yes. by not behaving yes. that way. Yes. Mm. Mm. yes, exactly. Oh my God. Yes, exactly this. Exactly. She make me feel like this. And I'm like, you know, and even she's so, hard on me on this thing you know for example we recently had an interview from cnn people came here to to make a how you a report about the circus mm-hmm. and they were uh, asking for interviewing some people and, you know she make it like a joke but it's it's always hard and she's like okay and also salam she want to she want to make this but uh, but she's white <laughs> oh <Okay>. gosh <laughs> you know okay you know also this thing like that she want to push me and she joke of me and sometimes she say, oh, but you are not so dark, you know? And he's like, mm. yes, yes. Like I, I fit in this society so much. I don't make any effort because that's what also in my mother, through she want to keep her things far in. I've been raised differently from the European culture. So I've been raised different and, and that's who I am. And all what I do is what come naturally to me. Right. But she start to think like that I want to act like them you know or, or sometimes you feel like uh, like I want to be darker or something you know and, and you know I like she, she drives me crazy really she do drive me crazy right. and she make me feel bad you know sorry yeah I grew up in an island and I, I I grew up in also in the rural area and there is close the beach and I always was outside and I'm always used to be uh, on sun or things and I love it. And I have to say the truth, when I see myself too light, I feel like I'm sick or something. You know? I feel the so exact I feel- same way. I feel the exact same <laughs> way. <laughs> Even I got this yellowish color that everybody does yeah. like. I'm almost like apologizing that I'm so pale like I'm like well I get I get darker uh, or I was darker when I was younger or something but it's a weird kind of like a uh, yeah like I feel like I have to apologize that I'm I'm pale right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't, but you know, it's like something. I'm used to seeing my skin dark because I used to spend a lot of time outside. Mm. So when I got uh, pale here because I don't spend any time outside, you know, I feel strange. So sometimes I do like to stay five minutes in the sun. And when I do that, she makes me feel bad, like I'm trying to to to, to be black or something, you know? Wow. And, and I know, sorry, but you're <laughs> sorry. I just have to say for somebody this thing because nobody can understand. No, it's no. I think I think I know you're concerned about that, but I think you're far clearer than you give yourself credit for. It makes it makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot more that you and I have in common than I expected we would when we first started talking i think we have a lot of the similar even though the 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 act itself is different the experience of how we feel or how we've responded to the situation it comes off very similar to me i think i think um uh but i i I tell you um there's a lot that you've said that is really similar to how i feel too 
or how I've responded to something that I, it just amazes me that mixed people have this, um, we have a very similar experience. I, I, it, it just, you just put us in a different country and I think, I think we'll feel very similar. <laughs> yes, yes. This is why I like to join this thing because, you know, I, I feel that, yes, we do have a lot of things in common, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, that's how life is going over here. So half of my life I spend it uh, on raisins to be dark and gypsy and half to be white and European. Right. So I got the raisins from the world range of my, the world spectrum of my, <laughs> my Right. Mixed. It it almost feels like you have to, like you even said it, I don't know if you meant to, but it just kind of came out. You said, um, my life is about races, I guess, um, when you're talking about your, your, your life with the circus. And I feel that way too. Like I, I feel that if I'm working and it's primarily white people, I feel like I have to be almost an ambassador for all the other things that I am, all, you know, the, mm. the Japanese and the black, because I want them to say like, you know, see, sh she's okay. So let's bring more people of color here because they're, they're not as bad as I thought. And I hate that I feel that way, but I have felt like that from the time that I started working in, in a business environment. I, I, and, um, so I always felt like it was my responsibility to show that like a, I could be a person of color that is safe and that. As now that I'm older, that makes me really upset. But when I was younger, that was all I did is try to make white people feel like it's okay to be around people of color. Now that I'm older, I'm just like, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. You know, like, this is who I am. I need to just be who I am. And sometimes I'm professional and sometimes I'm not. And that's just it. But it took a long time. I'm, I'm, I'll be 41 in a few days. So it took, it took 21 years of adulthood for me to get to a place where I'm finally comfortable to just be like I am. And if it makes white people uncomfortable or if it makes other people uncomfortable, depending on where I'm at, I typically get racism more from white people than I do from other people. Although I get it from Asians as well because I don't, Asians don't like to have mixed race people either. So, you know. Yes, I know. Yes. Uh, uh, so I, I get it. A little bit from there, uh, you know, and things of like having to keep it a secret from my Japanese family that were black growing up and stuff like that. But um, not as much now as an adult. I, I don't get to see as many Asian people where I work now. So yeah, it's just it's just this thing of like you just feel like every day I am all the races. <laughs> like I have to be all the races today. Something yes. you said made me think make maybe think of that. But is there anything else yes. before we wrap up that you that you really want to say to your audience about? Your yes, maybe something little. Yes. Uh, yes. First of all, really, I'm so happy to have this platform to to can speak about it, even like to how how to say, just like to free yourself from yeah. some things and yeah. to start to feel normal again for a while. And so, as I heard a little bit about us mixed people, we we got mistaken for so many things. And while I was traveling. It, Quite, I traveled quite a lot, so I got mistaken for everywhere and everywhere I don't really feel like home, you know, and part in the gypsy community, but for reason I cannot stay there. Mm -hmm. So, yes, a little bit like what uh, what we were speaking, like, and also I was seeing like another uh, documentary when mm -hmm. the title was The Other Race. So, yes, like I tried, okay, I was not feeling home and I was not feeling part of them when I was in Italy. And then I went through all over my scale of things inside other races and things. And also there I don't feel belonging, that sense of belonging too much. Mm -hmm 
strong and here no and for example recently i also been to morocco while there i really look like a moroccan like mm-hmm. i can be moroccan <laughs> really much but also there you know they sense it that i'm not somehow maybe because sometimes also when i speak i can't speak proper the language right. so but i just don't i i can't say i belong to anybody of them anybody and i do belong to everybody yeah. so like we are this new race like we have to belong to this like to our new things to the mixed race people and if there is not a name who represent us properly we should make it one and and i think that yes maybe this big lack of sense of belonging i had through all my life and maybe even the reason i got so upset with all these races is because of the sense of belonging i make a little example uh, recently a friend of mine ethiopian he went to cambodia and he experienced some races uh, towards him and then he told me yes but when i was there, I remember I am Ethiopian and I love my Ethiopian and something something and then he feel good and he don't care yeah. or whatever is going on around him because he have this strong sense of belonging and when I told him yes but can you try to understand me I I don't have any place to say yes that's my thing you know? right and so I feel like belong to something that gave me a strength but maybe now which is I think is a problem for all of us maybe now this this space this us can be our sense of belongings and when we receive from all the world this thing maybe we can say yes but i belong to the mixed race or i don't know right. how to call it us you know? that's that's the worst part is that we don't know we want something like that but we don't really know what to call it because even within our mixes we are all so different but we have such similar experiences that like i have more in common with you than i do probably with someone who is japanese even though i'm mixed with japanese or someone who's full black american even though i'm mixed with black american you know or, or white or Irish, any of the other things. Like, I have more in common with you, even though we're not mixed the same. Yes. So I agree. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yes. So maybe through all the people who is hearing us and who is a mixed race, you and whatever is our friend, we should start to be like, to start to build the community and, and support each other. And yes, of course, when we need to speak about our struggles, it's very nice because we can understand better each other. But also maybe like, as I was saying the other day, like, what is our beautiful things? Like, what is our... Amazing, we are so unique. Nobody is like us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it can be very so. Beautiful. Yes, we are like a bridge from all the worlds, and we can create like different realities and teach our children differently with all these realities. You know? Yeah. My God, when I think I will give birth to my child, most probably I will marry an Ethiopian because I I intend to live here. So what would this child will be? You know, will <laughs> be right. so yeah. So how I will teach about his mixedness you know like to, to give him or her this sense of belonging yes you do belong mm-hmm. to the mixed people you know? mm-hmm. and you have all these beautiful things and you will face maybe this struggle but you have all these beautiful things so maybe also we can we can make this community to, to to talk about also our beautiful things and what can we bring to society that that there is no yeah 
Absolutely. I think I'm so grateful. I can't tell you how excited I am to get a chance to talk to you a second time. And I hope that we talk, we talk again, um, many times because you, your, your story is, is so, uh, interesting. And yet there's so much, um, about what you've said that I feel like I've had a similar experience too. It's, and, and we grew up on opposite sides of the, of the world. And I, I just, I just, I'm so grateful that you shared your story with me. Most of my guests so far have been in Canada, the United States, uh, the UK. Um, I have one guest that is based out of Vienna. Um, so right now you're the person who's the farthest away from where I live. And so to be able to expose your uh, experience to our audience, I think is very important because, and in particular, maybe not all Westerners, but maybe yes, all Westerners, but certainly all US Americans tend to not be able to see other people's experience uh, as, uh, you know, I guess kind of like your your Italian boss, that, that idea of like, well, why don't you behave this way? This is the way you're supposed to behave. You know, you mm-hmm. get that a lot here. So getting a chance to expose our audience to, to your story and your experience will, like, I really think it will open up a lot more opportunities for all of us to, to kind of connect to people from all over the world. So I do, I very much appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your story with me. I hope that you come back on and we can talk again as you, you know, get further into your, your life in Ethiopia and, and the different experiences that you're going to have then. So yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Okay. Thank okay. you to you and for this beautiful pace. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.